I haven't met you yet, my name is Daryl Holden, one of the pastors here, and uh, really glad to be with you this uh, first weekend of April. Thanks, Joel. Can't believe it's April. We got sleeted on today, but that is okay. So um, if you're new with us, really glad to have you, whether you're here in person or you're online. We love having you with us, and we'd love to know that you're here, that you're kind of checking us out or that you're participating now. That'd be a big gift to us if you would be willing to let us know that. And so those of you who are online, if you wouldn't mind letting the host know that you're there, or you can click the Connect button, and that'll take you to our Connect card, and you fill that out, and uh, we'll be in touch with you just to see how we can pray for you, help you, answer any questions for you, and then you guys who are in person, um, some of you have a QR code in front of your seat. You can shoot that QR code and that will take you to that Connect card online or you can stop at the welcome desk on the way out and uh, we will trade you your information for a coffee mug full of really good chocolate. So it's, like, it's, a, it's a great deal for you. And uh, same thing, we just wanna connect with you, see if we can answer any questions, help you, pray for you. If there's any way we could serve you, we would, we would love to be able to do that. So. So we are a couple weeks from Easter, and we're headed towards Easter in this study that we've called Verified, a study of 2 Corinthians. Tonight we're in chapter 10. I'm really excited about this little section for us. Um, every time I preach through a series, I try to pick a subject or a section of the scriptures that I, like, I didn't have any exposure to. I mean, I've read it, but not like I've never studied it. To my knowledge, haven't really heard a sermon on it. Like I try to pick something new for me. So. So this weekend is the new one for me in this, in this series. So I've, I always look forward to these. And if it feels a little cloudier to you, it's probably because it's like my first time to go through this with you. So you guys get to put up with me today. So we're in, um, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I wanna read the first six verses to you of this little chapter. And then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about these verses, background, why they're here, and, and how they help us. And uh, I think this is gonna be a good time together for you. So the Apostle Paul writing to this ancient church at Corinth, he, 2 Corinthians 10, verse one, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. All right, so this is fascinating to me. So this paragraph, starts out invoking the humility and gentleness of Christ. And I mean, we just have this communion moment together wrapped around the humility and gentleness of Christ. It starts out invoking and calling our attention to the humility and gentleness of Christ, and then it ends up with an image of Roman siege warfare. And, and so I, I see those two things, and I'm like, there's gotta be a story here. Like, there's, there's gotta be something here that causes a guy who's writing this paragraph to start with the humility and gentleness of Christ and then by talking about Roman siege warfare. Because ancient days, if you had a city, you'd build big walls around them. If you had big walls around your city, you would call that your stronghold. And, and so he talks about, and what would happen in Roman warfare is the siege warfare is, is they would surround the city 
outside the walls and they would cut off all the supplies, all the trade coming in and out so that so no food, if they could cut off water supplies, they would cut off water supplies. I mean, like, you, if you lived in that city, your, your strength, the walls, the strongholds, really exposed you to, to siege. That was the weakness of it. And so once they got all the supplies and all the stuff in and out cut off, then, then they would go to work with the siege machines, the war machines, stuff like catapults and stuff that would drill through and battering rams, they would go to work on that to, to tear down the walls. So to destroy and demolish strongholds. And then after the strongholds had been demolished, what they would do is they would go in and they would take captives and they would make those captives obedient to them as the conquering army and any captives that refused to be obedient to the conquering army was published, punished. Brutal stuff, brutal stuff. So we have this, so we have this image of the gentle and humble Christ. Good shepherd, rest for your souls, begins our paragraph and ends with Roman siege war. So the story, the story behind that, best we can piece it together, scholars can piece it together from First and Second Corinthians. What's going on here is, so the apostle Paul came to Corinth and he was the first one, as far as we know, to come to Corinth with the good news about Jesus. And so this group of people heard his message and embraced it, embraced Jesus, and then Paul moved on to his next ministry assignment and Behind Paul came in this other group, people, and they too named the name of Jesus, but they had a totally different agenda, and, and they came in, and they were, they were impressive in a lot of ways, and they were teaching things that the church at Corinth was starting to believe, and the stuff that they were starting to believe was stuff that was, it was, against the Apostle Paul, but more importantly, it was against his message of Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and how we're supposed to live in response to all of that. And so these, these guys had come in, these false teachers had come in and, and they were leading the church at Corinth astray, away from Jesus and from his way. And, and so the Apostle Paul, from afar, is aware that this other group has come in and is teaching these things and the church at Corinth is walking and being led away into things that are not good for them. And so the, the, the story here is the Apostle Paul, there's, there's like three groups of people. The Apostle Paul is a leader in the Corinthian church, in the church broadly at that day. And these other guys who are also, they're leaders, but they're false apostles in the church at Corinth. And the battle is for the reputation of Jesus truth of the gospel and the lives of people who've said yes to him. And so, so you have the humble and gentle Christ that the Corinthians have encountered and that Paul tries to live his life after and you have this war imagery because there is a battle going on for the truth of the gospel and for the truth of people's souls. So it's a funny thing to me in this, and we'll see this a little bit, this other group of people. So you've got the apostle Paul and then we know from chapter 11, I think it's verse five, and then again in chapter 12, these, these other people that had come in, they were, they were calling themselves super apostles, which is 
to me, it's kind of comical when you step back from it. You got plain old Apostle Paul, and then you got the super apostle guys. That they, and I think, like, we should, just, we should just give Greg, like, stop calling Pastor Greg and start calling Super Pastor Greg. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's just, but, but this, is, this is the group that, that Paul was, he was speaking to the Corinthian church, and he is trying to expose to them who they're following right now. And so what I wanna do, this, I'm trusting you guys to work with me in, as, we, as we talk through because there are the three groups of people who are part of this little paragraph and it creates for us two different ways to, to learn what we need to learn. So the first, the first way we need to learn is about our own leadership because all of us lead, whether you lead a company, whether you lead a division, whether you lead a team, whether you lead a family, like all of us lead in some way. There, there are people who look up to you. There's influence that you have. And there, there are some really good leadership lessons in, in these little verses here. And then the second way that we need to see this is by who do we allow to lead us? Because that's kind of the conversation is it's holding up a style of leadership, a philosophy of leadership, and asking a group of people to, to recognize the difference between who they're saying no to and who they're saying yes to, and they're walking towards, they're walking towards the group that's gonna lead them astray. So kind of to that end, I've got six statements for us today and this weekend, and I just wanna process these a little bit with us as we make our way through these things together, and these, I'm, I'm nailing in on the little verse for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So, so this is where I'd like to spend our time, just this idea that we live in the world, but we do not wage war as the world does, because as you know, leadership always involves, like there's always, there's conflict and confrontation in all of our lives. And there is a way to engage that, and a way to walk into that, and there is a way to, to move through it and there is, so, and this is, he's talking about severe conflict, because remember, we're talking, about, we're talking about the truth of the gospel being at stake and the lives of people that he loves dearly because he introduced them to Jesus. So, so this is a severe conflict. He calls it waging war. And he set up, like, we don't wage war that way. He's talking about himself, and he's talking about people who are part of his ministry team, followers of Jesus Christ. And the world is, that is the culture at large that is not, interested in or influenced by Jesus in his ways. And the world wages war, people who, people who, you can wage war as the world does and call yourself a Christian or call yourself a pastor or call yourself a super apostle. So we do not wage war as the world does. We live in the world, but we don't have to, we don't have to battle the way that we do. So we're gonna kind of pick this all apart. And, and again, I think this is an important conversation based on this one little statement at the end of the middle of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15, Paul writes, particularly about these super apostles, he says, their end will be what their actions deserve. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So this is important. And, and listen to this, I mean, this sounds like he's talking about eternal consequences. And I'm, I'm gonna say probably he is, but not as the judge, because Paul knows if he's not the judge, he's not the final say in these things. But, but what, if he's, 
What if he's also talking about like the temporal consequences of things? And so I was, just for me, I was thinking about this. You know, so, so what if I'm having conflict with one of our staff members here and I wage war with them the way the world does and all of that turns out for us with what my actions deserve? Or what if Marie and I are having conflict and I wage war as the world does and all of that ends up in the place that my actions deserve? I, I think there's, there's a lot at stake here for how you and I engage in serious matters, even touching the gospel and spiritual life and spiritual growth. It's, what if our end is what our actions deserve? And it seems like if, if we wage war as the world wages war, it's gonna go that direction. And if we fight as Christ has and does, like it's, it's gonna go his way. And so we find in all of that rest for our souls. So again, six things for us to consider together this evening. The first is to align with the humility and gentleness of Christ. I think these first thing that we gotta pay attention to when we're engaged in difficulty or conflict with someone or something else over something that's important to us is to align with the humility and gentleness of Christ. Jesus, right before the first communion, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. So he was, he was very clear, he, he didn't come to be served, he came to serve and to give. And, and he took the role of a servant. And for us to align with the humility and the gentleness of Christ, that, that he is the good shepherd and he, he laid down his life for the sheep. He's, he's the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go chase down the one. And we've all been the one. That, that he was willing to come and not treat us as our running off deserved, but to be gentle and loving to us and to scoop us up and bring us back to him. And so to align ourselves with the humility and the gentleness of Christ who, who stood before Pilate and was really clear that you don't have any authority except what's been given to you, and yet in that he he went the way that he was supposed to go for you and for me. And so, so as we particularly, when we're thinking about difficult circumstances, conflict, this idea of waging war to align ourselves first with the humility and the gentleness of Christ and what we see in these verses and what you have experienced and maybe what you've thought at different points in your life, if you have, if you have engaged or watched a humble and gentle leader, sometimes that looks like timidity and weakness. And those are not values that are appreciated or endorsed in our culture. But there is, they look like timidity and weakness, but humility and gentleness are a totally different deal. And so to, to align, this is a heart issue. So to align ourselves with the humility and gentleness of Christ and to expect that of the people who lead us whether it's church, work, play, if they name the name of Jesus, to expect that they would align with the humility and gentleness of Christ. That's the first thing. Second thing, people are never the enemy. 
People are never the enemy. This is, this is a hard thing to remember when something important's on the line. People are never the enemy. In Ephesians chapter six, about verse 12, this is a, a spiritual warfare section of the scriptures and we're reminded in this that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not humans, not people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's, that's who our struggle is against. And just here this weekend, I don't know how you feel about all of that stuff, but I'm just telling you, Bible says it like it's true and it's true. There is an unseen world. There's a world you can see and engage with and there's a world you cannot see, but you are engaged with it. And that world is also engaged with you. And so our struggle is not against flesh and blood. When important things are on the line, you're not, like, people aren't the enemy. People are not the enemy. Now, our true enemy, Satan, does use people in this world. I mean, Jesus looked at Peter and Jesus made the statement of, hey, I'm headed towards the cross. They're gonna, they're gonna mistreat me, they're gonna crucify me. Peter speaks up, the apostle Peter speaks up and he says, that's never gonna happen to you, Lord. Like, we're not gonna let that happen. And Jesus looks at him, he says to him, hey, get behind me, Satan. You're, you are thinking about the things of people, man, not the things of God. And, and in that moment, there was this opposition to Jesus and to his plan and Satan was, had wormed his way in there. And so we know that the evil one uses people, but the person is never the enemy. And, and if you know that, and if you believe that, you might have been in some circumstances where you're pretty sure that Satan was using somebody else against you, and you kind of, you start to make that judgment call. That's when you gotta be real sure on before you engage, you know, that, that this, because if you're having conflict with another person, the enemy of your soul is involved, but he's also really deceitful and he's really tricky. And if you're looking at the other person saying, you are Satan, Satan's in there, but you might be wrong about which one of you he's using in, in this deal. So, so let's, like, let's just hold on to this idea that people are never the enemy. And, and you should expect your leaders to embrace this, that that if you and I are having, if we're having an issue about something, you're not my enemy and I'm not your enemy. And so people, people are not the enemy. So let's hang on to that, that's the second one, people are never the enemy. Third, choose battles and opponents carefully. Choose battles and opponents carefully. So in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, so those are, two other little letters that the Apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. And in those two chapters, they set out the qualifications of people who serve in a role called elder, which Bible's viewpoint, that is the, that is the highest spiritual authority in the church. It's the first layer of service. These are, it's a portrait of a mature Christian. And, and one of the statements about these mature Christians that, is that they're not a brawler, that, that they're not always in a fight. They're always, you know, it seems like they're always in conflict or they're, you know, they're excited about conflict, they're looking for it, they're engaging in it. That like God holds this idea of, 
of how you engage and how often you engage. As, as a leader, he's not a brawler. This is, this is not something that you're into and for and looking for. And at the same time, there are things that are worth engaging over. And, and so being real careful with the battles and your opponents, because remember, flesh and blood are never the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Is the enemy. And so, so making sure that we are people who seek and pursue peace. One of the things that I love about this little section here is as you read through the as you read through 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is like he is he is battling for the heart and the mind of the Corinthian church. And every so often he's trying to get out of the fight. You know, and, and so it's not like he's looking for a fight, he's wanting a fight. If you read through this letter and just kind of read through it, you'd hear him every once in a while saying, This is important and this is worth fighting for. Please don't make me fight for this. And, and so, so this idea of is there, is there a third way? Can, can we move in and can we move through this? Please don't make me fight for this. And so being somebody who chooses your battles very carefully and for your own leadership and for those you follow, there's, there's wisdom in and there, it's a sign of health that, that you're not in a lot of conflict all the time. My experience, and this is just my experience to take it for what it's worth, my experience is that, that people who are in conflict and looking for fights, like that, comes from, that comes from a place of woundedness, a place of, of unhealth, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, so it comes, it comes from a place that is unhealthy in their lives. And so, so the energy that we spend fighting others is better served, turned back on, how do we, like how do we get healthy how do we bring that to the gentle and humble Jesus to find rest for our souls? So choose our battles, choose our opponents very carefully. Fourth one, to know what victory looks like. And in these notes, I've given you a capital V on victory because we're not talking about just winning the argument, right? We're talking about Jesus's kind of victory, the resurrection kind of victory where, where his life gets applied to the circumstance and to the relationship, knowing what victory looks like because there is a victory available to you and it's to whoever, you lead, whoever leads you if we're willing to see it and pursue it. And so, you know, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul and those super apostles, whatever their names were. You know, the super apostles, what they're fighting for, which you can catch reading through the lines, reading between the lines, what they're fighting for is they're fighting for allegiance the Corinthian church to be aligned with them. They're looking for a crowd, they're looking for a bigger church, they're looking for people who look at them and go, oh, you're a super apostle. You know, like they're just, that's what they're looking for. They're looking, they're looking for followers, for themselves. And as you read through what plain old apostle Paul writes about all of this, he wants them to follow Jesus. And what's important to him is their obedience to Christ, in the verses that we read to start these things in verses five and six, it talks about being obedient to Christ. And if you read down farther into chapter 10 and 11, he talks about building you up and your faith growing. And, and victory is, is not about me winning, or you winning. Victory's not about 
allegiance, I persuaded somebody, now they're on my team. Victory is, victory is healthy relationships and victory is obedience to Jesus in all the circumstances that have caused us to come to this point of conflict and victory is about how do we grow spiritually in and through this. Those of you who are parents, you got kids at home, this, this is a great thing to process as a parent. What does capital V victory look like in this thing that we're trying to work out as parents and kids? You know, knowing what true victory looks like, not the smaller V victory, not, not the lesser win that you somehow get your way or they look at you and smile and shake their head on the outside, but on the inside, they're doing this to you. Like, to, know what, to know what victory looks like is a really important thing. Next thing, the fifth thing, it's the world's weapons. This was, this was a little fascinating part of my study for me. It talks about we don't wage war like the world wages war. And what fascinated me is the weapons of these first century super apostles, it hasn't changed. 2,000 years later and half a world away and the weapons, the world's weapons for leadership to try to win the little V victories, to get a crowd, to get a following, to get my way, it's all the same, it's still the same. The weapons are, are posturing of making sure everybody like looking the part, being the part, being bigger than life, being like posturing yourself to be the person, to be the leader. It's boasting <laughs> these super apostles, like just that they took the title. I mean, like, could you imagine taking the title? Like, okay, super mom is awesome, but super apostle, like, no way. You take that title, and, and they took it, and they embraced it, and they lived into it, and they talked about how great they were and how much spiritual power they had and all awesome things that they had done. I mean, like, this is the boasting that's going on in all of that so that people, like creating your own image and managing your own image so that you look the part of whatever it is that you wanna, you wanna do. And, and then the slander, particularly aimed at the apostle Paul because he was the other leader in the room and, and just to the attack that he had to endure at the hands of these people who were waging war against him, the attack on the gospel, the, the slandering that was happening, like that, we see that, we see that all the time in our culture. And then the exploiting, and that word is used over and over in this letter about how these super apostles are exploiting you. They're using you for their benefit. And, and here's the truth. People who are waging wars, the world wages war, they love themselves and they're using you. They, they may profess to love you and be serving you, but they love themselves and they're using you. And that's, that's the baseline of that, that, here's how the world wages war. And, and what we have to know is if you, if you wage war the way the world does, then you're gonna get the world's results in that. And, and you're gonna get the best that, that that way has to offer. Because we go back to their, their ends are gonna be what they deserve. And so if, if you're just looking for a little V victory, these are some great ways to get there. But truth is, nobody really wins in this. And so 
We don't wage world, we don't wage war the way the world wages war. We wage war with weapons that have divine power to tear down strongholds, to take captive to Jesus, and to make people obedient to him. And so this was, this was the interesting part to me in this study as well. What are these divine weapons that, that accomplish so much that are real? So the first is what we get referenced back to, humility and gentleness. Humility and gentleness. Isn't that strange to think about that as a weapon in conflict? It's, it's not a weapon like you and I would normally think about weapon, but it is, it is, a, it is a siege weapon. It is humility and gentleness covers over and cuts off so many things that the enemy would want to bring into and empower in, in a conflict situation. Humility and gentleness, and whether you are, whether you're a leader of a company or a division or a home or a church, that humility and gentleness and to align, be aligned with the humble and gentle Christ and to be humble and gentle in, in conversation. And again, you should be able to expect that of the people that lead you that they would be humble and gentle, submitted to the Lord, submitted to what he said, submitted to what is best, submitted to us working this out. Humility and a gentleness, not, not the pride and the brashness and the I'm gonna get my way in this deal. And so humility and gentleness, the humility and gentleness of Christ. The word of God in prayer. In Ephesians chapter six, verses 17 and 18, it talks about you know, the spiritual warfare passage and it talks about how the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And not to be wielded as a weapon between you and me. You know, it's, it's not something you beat somebody with, but it informs us and leads us and speaks truth into and over us and moves us forward. And, and prayer, to, to invite God in to whatever the mess happens to be. He, he hears and he answers our prayers. And, and to seek him, his presence, his power, his teaching, his way, in the midst of all that, that if, if, if there's headbutting going on, that prayer should be a big piece of that. Individually, together, if it can happen, like the word of God and prayer, these are, these are weapons that tear down the enemy's plan and objective for you and for me. Speaking the truth in love. Ephesians chapter four, verse 15 talks about that, about how we relate to one another. We, we speak truth, and I, capital T, Truth, God's truth. Things about like who he is and who we are in him, who you are in him, who I am in him, and the way that he has for us, like speaking the truth, capital T, truth, God's truth, in love, capital L, love, God's kind of love that is sacrificial, laying down for the good of somebody else, speaking the truth in love. when. When truth and love are held together and applied to circumstances, enemy strongholds are torn down. 
so this is, this is divine weapon, speaking the truth in love. And then the last one I have for this and for our time together this weekend is finding God's strength in my weaknesses. Finding God's strength in my weaknesses. And knowing that there, there's some things I can't see, there's some stuff I don't know, there's a perspective I don't have, there's, there's a part of this that I just am not gonna be able to do and to deal with and to be okay with that and let the Lord be strong where I am weak. Instead of posturing and trying to convince and trying to over, over posture, knowing that that, like to protect myself, just to, to, be, to be really good with God being strong in my weaknesses. And if, if we could have as moms and dads, as employees, employers, as leaders of small groups, leaders of ministries, as, as people, who, people who have influence, Every one of us in this room has influence. And when you are influencing, you're going to find yourself in circumstances where this is gonna happen. And if we, if we could approach the struggle and the difficulty in those leadership moments with the humility and the gentleness of Christ and wage war, not as the world does, not as we see around us, not as we experience day-to-day life, not as modeled to us or taught to us in other places, if we could, if we could wage war with divine weapons, we would see ourselves moving not just into, but through conflict in beautiful and healthy ways where Christ is glorified. And so, if you're listening to this and you're not convinced Jesus' way is the way, I think that's something to, to think through. The other way isn't the way. So if you're, if you're listening to this and you're not convinced Jesus' way is the way, this is, this is something to consider, the humility and gentleness of Christ. If you're, listening to this and you're seeing where you've fallen short, either in the way you lead or, or who you've allowed to influence you, if you're listening to that. Or if you've, you know, you're here, but you haven't been able to listen to this because of all the other stuff that's going on in your life. I wanna, I wanna wrap all this up by taking us back to the verse we started with. This is Jesus' invitation. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So if you need, if you need rest as a, a leader, if you need rest as a follower, if you need rest as a human being, child of God, Jesus is your answer. His will, his way, his sacrificial death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his love for you on display. If you're weary and burdened, Jesus will give you rest for your soul. So I'm gonna pray for us here in just a minute, and if you're here in person, we'll have prayer leaders down front after I say amen. If you, if you just need somebody to pray with you or pray for you about whatever it is going on in your life, they would, they would love to do that. Those of you who are online, if you'd let your host know or click the prayer button, we'll be glad to pray with you about the things that are going on in your life. So would you guys please bow your head and close your eyes with me? So Lord Jesus, we come back to this humble and gentle and so grateful that you love people like us and that you you have met us humbly and gently. We We deserved a different thing, but your grace, 
your grace towards us. Um, we're really grateful. So would you, would you make us people of grace? We don't, we, we can't manufacture any of this stuff we're talking about on our own. This is, this comes from you. And so would you, would you pour your humility, your gentleness into our lives? And we look to you and lean on you as we engage with circumstances and with people where we're having difficulty. We wanna do this your way to experience your kind of results. And Jesus, we're really grateful that you would give something like this to people like us. So we pray these things in your name, amen.